I'm reminded of Peterson's answer, right? When people say, do you believe in God? He says, no, but I act as if he exists. So yeah. it needs to have. Well, God, work. God does exist, you know, because even, even that reconciliation, you know, that can be an example of whatever people's idea of God is, but we know there's going to be a punishment that comes from mm -hmm. withholding the truth, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So on, on that level, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and watch the way that your external life manifests as a result of continuing down that path of withholding truth. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Joe Rafiti, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Robert Breedlove, it's a pleasure to be here with you, man. Great to have you, man. It's nice to be on the other side of the mic this time. Uh, I think I've been on your show once or twice. Yep. And um, always had a really good time, really good conversation. So thought it'd be great to have you on and do some philosophizing. Absolutely, man. Let's do it. Just by way of quick introduction, you are the co-host of the Here for the Truth podcast, um, and you guys put out some really good content. Um, I think asking hard questions, pushing people's critical thinking, getting people to re-examine the nature of the world, themselves, etc. Uh, it's really good stuff. So kudos to you for that. Thanks, um, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. What, maybe we could just start there, actually. And this yeah. is... Like I was saying to you offline, truth, right? It's one of those words that's so obvious. We all know what the truth is, you know, accurate portrayal of reality or, you know, good, valid information, something like that. But when you really start to dig into it, people don't seem to have a consensus on truth very often. So mm -hmm. kind of like money in a way that it's this obvious thing that we all use every day. But then when you really dig into it and try to define the nature of it, um, it quickly becomes a philosophical conversation. So maybe we could just start wrapping on the nature of truth. Uh, obviously, it's the namesake of your show. You've talked to a lot of people about it. How yeah. have your views on the essential nature of truth changed in doing the show? And, and what is truth in your view? Yeah, man. Again, you know, the podcast could be called What is Truth? Same as What is Money? Like no one yeah. really seems to know the answer, but yeah. everyone's got their own perspective. Um, yeah, man, like the podcast is called Here for the Truth. Like it's not we know the truth. It's here for the truth, meaning that, you know, we're open to discovering what, what that is um, throughout all our conversations that we have. 
And then obviously we get into like objective truth, subjective truth, external truth, internal truth. Mm. You know, it, it goes on. But, you know, ultimately the truth has to be verifiable, right? Mm. So objectively, you know, we can go straight into rand randism, you know, objectivism, mm. A equals A, the law of existence. Mm. I exist as a human being. That's the truth. I'm sitting here having this conversation with you. That's the truth. Um, the things that I can see, I can grasp external to me are obviously true. Uh, and, uh, you know, many people these days tend to want to easily drift from objective truth. And I think that is, you know, very much so connected to the slippery slope we're seeing now all around us, mm. particularly around society with, you know, everyone with the label expert, you know, wanting to proclaim the truth, you know, and we've so easily handed over our own mind's judgment of the truth. So when it comes to truth, you know, we're all unique individuals. And I think first and foremost, the most important thing is that each person has to learn to hold their mind and their judgment of reality alone as the final arbiter of truth. Mm. Because we've all had unique experiences. No one's had the same experience. No one's witnessing the same things unfolding. Everyone's perceiving things in their own way. Um, and that's not to say that truth is completely subjective, but truth for an individual is experiential, mm. I believe. You know, then there's internal truth, like the truth of who we are, the truth who I, who, who I am is, is different to, to who you are. Mm. My childhood is different to your childhood. The things that light me up and the things that I'm passionate about are different to the things that light you up and you're passionate about. So, you know, a big part of our podcast is know thyself, self-knowledge. Mm. And I think through through being a living human being, through having experiences, through having relationships, through being within an environment, we're constantly getting feedback about the truth of who we are. And I think understanding and coming to grips and excavating down towards closer to the truth of who you are um, is, is a huge piece of the puzzle um, in, in discovering that process of what is truth as well, because we all come in with our own filters, our own programs, our own conditions, our own levels of regulation when it comes to our, our own nervous system, you know, what one person takes as an attack, some person might take completely differently. Mm. So I think also being able to come to a place of regulation within oneself, of balance, of harmony, of, you know, mm. of equanimity is very important in honing one's discernment of truth. Mm. I mean, I'll start the conversation there. Do I have a direct <laughs> answer? No, but if you've got thoughts on what I've said so far. Yeah, no, that's really good stuff. Um, it, what comes up for me there is it. we perhaps talk about truth sometimes as if it's this static quality you know like tell me the truth what is the truth let's get to yeah. the truth like there's some destination that we just arrive at like oh there it is here's the whole truth but it really seems to be more like this ongoing process of discovery right that there's all it depends right it depends on what you're looking at how you're looking at it what's the what your aims and goals are in relation to the thing that you're observing or interacting with. And it's, yeah. it's processual. It's not static. It's, it's dynamic. Um, yeah. I'm reminded of too, like the American pragmatist described, who was this purse? Maybe I think it was the philosopher. And he said, truth is found at the end of inquiry. And they sort of distinguished pragmatic truth from some capital T transcendent, you know, all encompassing <laughs> divine truth let's say and which is something that's not necessarily accessible to the human mind but for normal human purposes we had these pragmatic truths that we have to work to basically discover all the time right there's always a new layer to unveil and the other thing that came up for me there too is like this whole what we've seen in the past couple of years this whole trust the science mantra yeah you know where it's Again, as if science were uh, a substitute or a surrogate for truth in a way. Mm -hmm. And again, like it's just, there's just some static entity out there called science that we're just supposed to trust. But again, yeah. if you dissect that, like, well, what is science? Science is this methodology of systematic questioning. So you're trusting the process of inquiry. You're not trusting any scientist or any scientific body or even any existing scientific law, because obviously science has been revised many, 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 many times. Um, so maybe like just shifting your, 
getting people to shift their mind from uh, a static view of reality to something that's more dynamic seems to be more truthful. Um, and that applies too, as you said, to the self, right? Because yourself is an ongoing process of discovery, right? Who you are today is not who you were 10 years ago. It's not who you're going to be 10 years from now. Yeah. There's, there's a great Jung quote where he says, you know, what, what is true in the morning in the afternoon will surely become a lie, you know, mm. and that's mm. held very true throughout my life. So many times, you know, I thought yeah. I was very certain about the things I knew, uh, yes. you know, only to have that rug continually pulled under me and realize it is a process. There's always, you know, a process of discovery going on. Yes. Yeah. Th- I think there's another saying as this kind of ties into economics and markets, but there's a saying on wall street that price is truth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's again, the thing that's always, you're discovering how much people value a thing, like how much the market values a thing. And there's a lot of information in that. Yeah. And um, so as it pertains to like money and the corruption of money, when we, counterfeit currency we're distorting prices so there's something Mm -hmm. there like you're interrupting that process of discovery that is the process of unveiling truth and then what happens well our world gets awash in bullshit right (laughs) government gets big propaganda gets big mainstream media gets deceptive uh psyops are rampant so there's this there's like a very useful feature i think in asking and looking at the nature of truth itself and then seeing how it relates to uh, these discovery processes that we're engaged in all the time, whether it's dialogue or whether it's a pricing system in a marketplace. Um, yeah. We need these things to get to get deeper, to get into yeah. relationship with truth, basically. And it's a matter of, you know, getting hyper real with yourself, the state of your life in, 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 all, in all aspects of it, you know, particularly with, you know, many people, I guess, struggling to i guess become who they were born to be it's individuates develop self-esteem to live a really meaningful and purposeful life mm-hmm. i think for many there's like a, a blur or a veil between them and what's really happening within their existence um and how much responsibility they actually play in that mm-hmm. you know many people you know uh psychologically still children you know living this hoping wishing waiting game thinking someone's going to come save them someone's going to come knock on the door and hand them a miracle and be like you know you are special and here's everything you've ever you've ever wanted in life but you know until we can really take a stark look at our own realities our own circumstances the state of our relationships our financial situations etc and really developing objective truth at least in that manner then it's difficult for anyone to develop real change positive change in their life without the bedrock of truth you know so truth on top of all that is also an axiom of self-esteem self-esteem merely being your relationship with yourself Mm. you know how you feel about you the reputation that you have about with with yourself if we're constantly lying to ourselves if we're contradicting ourselves if we're compromising our own ability to reason with little white lies about Mm. ourselves and our reality then no one can build self-esteem on that kind of foundation yeah. And, you know, to me, that correlates to the market as well with the corruption of price. You're yes. corrupting the foundation of of prosperity. Yes. No, that's wonderfully said. Yeah. they're. Co- I mean, they're both cognitive processes, right? Like the marketplace is like a collective cognitive process. And then obviously we have that going on in between the years too. And so yeah. when you start deviating from truth, you corrupt the process and then you, you get bad outcomes basically, right? You're not going to have... Uh, well, so this came up for me too, as you were saying that this whole, I've been listening to some of these relationship podcasts recently mm-hmm. and the power of radical truth in relationship, like people that, you know, whatever they do something, they're, they're not faithful to their partner or they do something else that they don't like when people yeah. don't reveal that they don't, they keep that hidden from their partners. It creates these very destructive consequences over time. But when people just do the uncomfortable thing up front, right? And just they shoot their partner straight. Here's what happened. It's yeah. amazing to hear how some of these stories, like people go through a lot of uh, drama, I guess, in relationships. But if they build it on radical truth and they keep telling each other, they keep shooting each other straight, you see these people yeah. succeed, right? They have really strong, lasting relationships. And so, yeah, because you're choosing to correct course immediately, you know, yes. and it, it, when, when you don't do that and when you consciously omit the truth, then like yes. that doesn't just go away, it gets yeah. hidden, you know, 
like the the unconscious is what we've decided to forget about. Ultimately, it's all we've hidden away, then forgotten where we hid it, so to speak. Yeah. And psychologically, this is the shadow, right? Right. And ultimately, man, it's like it's 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 like a rubber band. The longer you yeah. avoid it, the more painful it's going to be. When That's ultimately right. it comes out, and the longer lasting the consequences are as well. And again, to relate, it's very much so like an economic bubble, so yeah. to speak, right? Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can deny it for as long as you want. Yes. But ultimately, somewhere down the road, there's going to be catastrophe as a result of avoiding the truth yes. in the instance where it should have been confronted. That's so such a great point. I'm reminded. I love this quote. I think about it a lot. I think it was, I think it was Buddha. I'm not sure. Three things cannot remain long hidden: the sun, the moon, and the truth. Yeah, it is Buddha. Um, yeah. Jordan Peterson used to describe this as when you tell a lie, you're like twisting the fabric of reality, right? Mm-hmm. And the more you twist it, the more tension is building. And at some point, it's going to snap back. And so the longer, the more you've lied or the longer you've lied, the harder that snap is going to be. And this does, this isn't, I, I really think this is a fundamental property of reality. This is not just something like, oh, karma, you might get caught. Like it's, like nice. Peterson says, in his year, 25 years of being a clinical psychologist, he's never seen anyone get away with anything ever. Like it always, yeah. the truth always comes out. So you have to just, acknowledge that reality and have a really frank relationship with it up front um and what it's, 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 it's a law of nature you know yeah and yes. you know as, as is as is the other great hermetic principle as above so below as within mm-hmm. so without you know mm-hmm. ultimately the lie that you know you you hold within is going to have external consequences as well and will manifest itself externally yes. and before you know it you're going to you're going to be like trying to tailor your reality to avoid that lie coming out on some unconscious level yes and there's no freedom in that so in exactly. fact when when you, when you when you when you withhold the truth you're compromising your own reception of freedom and your own ability to live freely as well yes. Yes. Yeah. Your own so freedom is truth. Yes. Uh, right. Because you are free. Mm-hmm. Right. And with that freedom, yeah. comes responsibility. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing that you're hiding from anymore. You know, you don't, you, you, you don't, there's, there's no situation that can occur in, 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 in reality that is going to undo you yes. because there's, there's, there's acceptance there. There's equilibrium there. There's harmony there. And that there's nothing that I have to hide from anyone. Yes, yes yeah. exactly. Yeah. You're reconciled to reality. It's so, reconciliation. Yeah, that's right. right. But if but if you lie and then you get caught in the lie, you have to tell another lie. You have to keep building these these layers of artifice. And at some yeah. point that's gonna crumble and collapse. And the taller you build that tower of artifice, the harder you're gonna fall, basically. Oh yeah. And I you know, I just wish, you know, religion, I guess, does a good job of this somewhat. It's like lots of religions focus on the truth and telling the truth and all of this, but mm-hmm. um people maybe like the materialist worldview still doesn't take this stuff seriously in my estimation like people think they can lie and get away with things and it just doesn't work i mean yeah i i, I hear you, i hear i hear you man i mean i think religion has its flaws in this in this regard as, as well you know like i think many people living purely on a faith-based lives is and, and is antithetical to truth i think religion has called caused many people to you know consider this current life whether there's reincarnation or whatever mm. as as secondary and many people are merely living their lives for the afterlife for some unknowable unquantifiable afterlife mm-hmm. and i think on an unconscious level they they therefore treat this life with some level of disdain almost like it's secondary you mm. know so then again you know i think about like metaphysical truths you know there's 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 much that we can't really say is a truth when it comes to these ideas these ideas of i'm not saying it's not of heaven you know of a of god in the heavens etc of reincarnation of all these things Mm. i think people need to be careful with where that fits within their their reason i'm not saying don't let that have any role in your life yeah but you know we need to consider that yeah no no it's a good point i'm reminded of peterson's answer right when people say do you believe in god he says no, but I act as if he exists. So yeah. it needs to have well, God, God does exist, you know, because even even that reconciliation, you know, that can be an example of whatever people's idea of God is. But we know there's going to be a punishment that comes from withholding the truth, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So on on that level, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of uh... we're creating our states of heaven and hell yes. through our relationship with truth. 
Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you're almost like your distance from truth is hell, something like that. Yeah, man. Psychologically, it is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and, uh, and watch the way that your external life manifests as a result of continuing down that path of withholding truth. Absolutely. I, another one that really jumps out at me here is Heidegger described truth as unconcealedness. Um, aletheia, maybe, I think is the ancient word that he sourced it from. But again, this idea of just revealing what is, right? Like, if, you know, living in radical truth with your partners, your colleagues, your family, everyone just, you know, speaking what's on your heart, what's on your mind and not trying to conceal. Um, and there's another quote that like lies are sweet in the beginning and then sour later, whereas truth yeah. is sour in the beginning, but sweet later. Like it's hard. It's never, it never gets, it's simple. I think to all, to try and live in radical truth because it's a very simple formula, but yeah. it's always difficult. Like there's always these conversations. I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation. You know, I don't want to say this. And you kind of try to rationalize it and fight it a little bit. But in my experience thus far, the more you're willing to actually just get it out, the better yeah. life becomes. Absolutely, man. I think I think there's there's always there's always pain involved, you know, and that seems to be something that is also just inherent in the nature of whatever this process that we're all experiencing consciously is. Yes. You know, like yeah. um Yeah, the reconciliation yeah. is pain, right? It's it's gonna hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt, period, but it's going to hurt more if you try to postpone the reconciliation. Yeah. And, and and the moment you postpone it, you're consenting to some kind of illusory existence on some level, you know, right. which is which yes. is built upon nothingness, which is built upon lies. And, yes. you know, it's hard to, to build anything of true prosperity from that place. Yeah. So I think, you know, we need to be very vigilant in that regards in, you know, ensuring that we reconcile whether it's a day-to-day or whether it's week to week or whatever it might be yeah that's a great point um yeah. and then there's a there's also like a very practical cost to this because you know if you're telling lies or living out of reconciliation you're actually you're consuming more of your own bandwidth or your own cognitive hard drive to try and maintain all that shit or as if you're just telling the truth what did i think it was mark twain like if you he who tells the truth doesn't have to remember anything, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you're yeah. just free and clear mentally. So you're just you're more effective in life. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I was I wish people would take it more seriously. It seems like the Western but that, that's that's part of the thing, man. You can't force anyone on this journey. Yeah. You can't force, you know, like and ultimately becomes down to each individual, hopefully becoming more consciousness through experiencing life through making decisions, through getting feedback from the environment, recognizing this path doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, this path does feel better. I'm going to, I'm going to do more of that, you know, yeah. and even like in the nature of what we do in, in, in our work, like mass awakening. Like, I don't think that's a thing. Like, I don't, I don't think that's coming. This is an individual process mm. for every single person. And so the, the reality is not everyone might come to this, this, these same conclusions, you know, in, in this life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the truth is that that's okay too, because ultimately that is going to be true. Yeah. Um, so I think the best you can do, man, is, you know, really, you know, live by these values and these qualities in one's own life and, you know, become a beacon for others to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to see as an example of, you know, the, the results. Because what we put in ultimately is what we get out, you know, the, the rule of inputs and outputs. And I think most people... That I, that I when I look around, like they don't really have a, a code for life. They they, they yeah. don't really have like a a proper morality upon which it dictates their decision making process. You know, a lot of it is you know, un like un un loose ends, untied right. conclusions. There's no there's no entire concept of of reason or morality that guides them. And mm. I think that's why so many people are lost. To be honest with you, and. You know, on top of that, we're we're being fed inverted moralities constantly. Yeah. You know, we're the reality out there. The truth is, for 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 the most part, you know, it's it's filled with lies and illusions and half truths. Mm. So, you know, looking externally for that, especially today, is not very beneficial for someone. 
So I think when someone really looks at the reality of their life, you know, they have to make the decision themselves to be like, okay, the answers aren't right in front of me. I recognize something's wrong. So I need to go seeking. And that's what the truth seeking process is. That's where it begins for most people. Mm. Yeah. Such a good point. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. That's a good segue too, actually. So you brought up Rand earlier and yeah. she I just finished finished Atlas Shrugged. I did the audiobook 64 hours, I think. Man, nice. I cannot believe it took me so long to get through that book. But not not to get through the book. Obviously it took a long time, but to get to the book. I've yeah, been yeah. postponing reading it for so long. And it's just so it is almost biblical and it's <laughs> how profound it is it's so good it is so yeah, unbelievably man. good um and my she... life in two stages before and after atlas shrugged yes 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 yeah i, I want to read it again like i want to go through the whole book again uh, now yeah. basically um highly recommend it but she lays out and you're talking about the illusions in the world i think one of these recurrent illusions that humans keep struggling with is different flavors of individualism versus collectivism. Mm -hmm. And obviously at the shrug makes a very strong case against collectivism. What is it that's so appealing about collectivism that I guess first we should probably try to define these things a little bit for people that might not understand them, but um, yeah. what is it that's so appealing about collectivism that we keep deceiving ourselves individually and collectively to believe that these things are possible. Yeah. Well, I guess to a basic definition, you know, individual upholds that man should live for himself. Collectivism upholds that man should live for others, for the group, for the crowd. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so appealing, particular, particularly with the collective consciousness today about collectivism is that it it provides people with an evasion of self-responsibility. You know, ultimately, collectivism upholds that each man should receive according to his need, not according to his to his ability. Right. You know, and to, yeah. to, to the human being that wants to evade productive effort, that is extremely appealing. Yes, please, someone else come look after me. Yes, please, someone else comfort me. Hmm. Yes, please, someone else be at my convenience. I'm happy to wash my hands of responsibility with my life, with filling my cup. You know, with 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 living a meaningful and purposeful existence, um, and I think you know that that's that's ultimately the the, the magnet. You know, is yeah. that someone else can hold me on this on this journey. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't support each other. You know, true true support, in my opinion, comes from real individualism because it comes from this notion of rational selfishness. It's in my self interest to want to help you, to want to do something with you. Mm -hmm. But when this becomes the blanket code of morality then no one genuinely wants to support anyone because everyone's cups are completely depleted and we're all giving from a place of resentment from obligation. Yeah. And energetically, that's not, that's not good for anyone. You know, this, right. this, these expectations, it's not that. So I think it's, you know, I've built myself up. I'm a, I've, I've become a productive human being. I've become a man of value. And from this place, I genuinely want to give to someone else. I do want to support you, my wife, my kids. Like, mm -hmm. it's in my self-interest to sacrifice for my kids. I'm not saying sacrifice is a bad thing, sure. but where's it coming from? Right. Yeah, that's a great point too. That that you know, that's collectivism, right? Like in your family, you're not running a capitalist society with your kids. You're not charging them for every sandwich. You know, you're giving the shirt off your back, the fruits of your labor to take care of your kids. That works at the family scale but yeah. i guess the deception comes is when 
politicians and demagogues, they try to represent, oh, let's all be one big family, right? The, 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 the motherland or the fatherland or whatever romantic lie is being told from each according to their ability to each according to their need, as you said. Yeah. Um, I guess it, it, it sort of exacerbates the problem because you have people that have a natural compassion like you want, it sounds great to believe that if we could all just be one big happy family, that sounds wonderful. But we see in practical implementation, it does not work, right? People need prices and markets and rule of law, all these things to resolve disputes because we're not all one big family, right? We're a bunch of families. Um, yeah, man. But, but it, it yeah. exacerbates that problem when you have self-interested people trying to use these lies or hide behind these lies to then steal from people, right? To, you know, push socialism or push Marxism or push communism. And you get people to believe that this reality is possible where we can all be one big happy family, but that's just used as like a, a veil so you can violate their property or worse, you know? Um, it, it's always at the sacrifice of someone, you know, people yeah. think, you know, like money just comes out of thin air or, you know, government incentives yeah. just come out of thin air. Like right. it's, it's, it's not the case, you know? So I think ultimately, like, as, as Rand says, collectivism upholds the notion that man is a sacrificial an animal, you know, right? that he, he, his interests are secondary and the purpose yeah. of his life, you know, is not to further life. It's not to live. It's not to become valuable. It's not to reach potential. It's to sacrifice for the other, it's to become a nothing. Right. And uh, that's simply not a code of ethics or morality or a morality as we see when we look around us that, you know, leads to a, a thriving society. One of the biggest, you know, I guess, um, collectivist catchphrases, especially these days is like, you know, mm -hmm. for the greater good, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, ultimately, you know, I, I, I want the greater good. That, that's what sure. I want. And we had, we had this conversation with G. Edward Griffin on our, on our podcast, you know, and, and, and what he says is, but what's the method to achieve the greater good? Right. And ultimately, I agree with him that the path is individualism. You know, it's by yes. it's by each individual acting in their own self-interest without inhibiting upon the inalienable rights of others, you know, right. always honoring the law of freedom. And ultimately, that leads for greater group prosperity than the inversion that is collectivism, altruism. Yeah. That's great. That's a great point. Um, this false God, right, the greater good, the good of society. Um, it's always invoked, right? That you, the individual, need to sacrifice whatever money, wealth, time, property to this ephemeral, you know, amorphous greater good. It's just, you know, it it's not even defined. It's just like what whatever the, the demagogue yeah. defines as the greater good. And it's yeah, well, ultimately, you know, people think there is a collective group interest in the greater good. There's not. The group right. interest is based upon the individual who holds the most power within that collective. Yes. It's their it's their interest. Yes. Yes. That's where I was going with that. Is like because again, back to truth. Like, what is the truth? Well, the truth is society is comprised of individuals. Yeah. So it's oxymoronic to say, oh, let's violate the individual's rights for the good of society. Like you're you're taking a lower resolution view on the world, society or the greater good. And saying, yeah. let's violate its elementary particle to try and improve it. Like it, it's like, let's destroy the atom to improve the, yeah. the apple or something, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's ridiculous, you know, um, you know, and, and collectivists often like always harp on about, you know, looking after minorities, but as Rand said, the smallest minority on earth is the individual. Yes. Yes. There can be no smaller. <laughs> ah. Um, and the one that really this shook me a lot over the past few years because you think we've gotten past that. Like how many bodies did we need to stack up in the 20th century to understand that from each, according to their ability to each, according to their need doesn't work. Right. Like it's a false, false God. But then yeah. we start hearing things like nobody is safe until everybody is safe. Yeah. Right. Another own one of these. You, yeah. Oh, nothing. Be it's, um, and then it works. It works on the minds of the young, especially, I guess, because they just look out on the world and think, well, yeah, things are really screwed up. Well, because because we've been programmed to believe that we live in a capitalist society. Right. When, when we yes. don't. So people right. think the fruits of what we're seeing is a result of capitalism when yes. really they've got no freaking idea what capitalism means. Right. 
it's not late stage capitalism. It's late stage central banking. Yeah. That's what we're looking at in the world. Um, I can't recommend Atlas Shrugged highly enough. Honestly, like anyone who's listening to this, go get that audiobook. It is, I mean, she, it's a fictional story, but it is like, especially if you listen to it right now, you'll perfectly understand everything that's happening. I don't want to say could, everything that's happening in written. the world, but you'll yeah. get a good grip on what's going on by going through yeah. that book. Yeah, man. It could have been written today and yeah. still still be as relevant. Um, you know, and, and it, it's incredible that, you know, she was, you know, ultimately English wasn't even her first language. Right. And she came and represents, she created a fully complete closed-ended philosophy in objectivism. And had the creativity to actually portray that in like a thousand plus page fictional story. And in my opinion, one of the greatest stories of all time, you know, yeah. like it's insane. Yeah. Quite an unbelievably talented woman. Um, and another, the only thing I'd read of hers prior to that was her essay, The Virtue of Selfishness. Mm -hmm. um, now, how do we... <laughs> This is a tricky one too. Like, how do you articulate the value or even the morality of rational selfishness to people that aren't familiar with these ideas? Because on the surface, to say that sounds sounds selfish, right? It sounds like a negative thing, yeah. and you know, selflessness sounds like a better, more moral thing. But that's a very slippery slope towards the greater good, like we were just describing. So, how do you yeah. articulate the value of? or even the morality of rational selfishness. Yeah, man. And again, like it comes to the, the distortion of these words, you know, like mm -hmm. capitalism, like there's so much muck that comes with that now, like selfish. There's so mm -hmm. much that so much, you know, imagery embedded in that word in people's mind through mm -hmm. so much programming and conditioning, you know, like mm -hmm. selfish, greedy, you know, corporate brutes, etc. But, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to get back to what the word means and it means to act in one's self-interest. Right. You know, so, which is truth, by the way. Like we're all doing it all the time. <laughs> yeah, man. So it's like the question is: Do you do you value your life? Do you value your existence? And for the individual that answers yes, then ultimately that person is is rationally selfish. Mm -hmm. They make decisions and actions in accordance with the furtherance of one's own life, and that's how all all of nature operates. Mm. You know, the the plant is going to, you know, grow closer towards the sun to get more sunlight and automatically dig towards more fertile soil. It's not going to think twice about acting in its own interest in the furtherance and preservation of its own life. Mm. The animal isn't going to think twice to eat, to kill, to do what's necessary. Mm -hmm. But man is separate. He's the only he's the only species that has a volitional consciousness, right? Mm. So we can choose to act against our own self-interest. Mm. And ultimately Rand would call that evil. Because in her philosophy, objectivism, which in my understanding of her very much so, you know, is natural law, right? Mm. What she's saying is that, you know, life begets life. All of life in all of nature, you know, we're moving towards more life, except mm. man, for some reason, you know, is able to, to, to not do that. He's able to make the choice mm. against that. Mm. So I guess to answer your question, if you value your life, if you value your existence, if you value your potential, if you value freedom, then, you know, you are rationally selfish. And that doesn't mean that you're going to compromise those for anyone else, because this is the person who truly values freedom. So the last thing mm. on their mind is to value the, in the inalienable individual rights of another, mm. because they recognize that that is the breeding ground for everything great for all of value, for all of productivity, for the ability, for the creative life force flowing through my bones to create something out of nothing. You know, mm -hmm. freedom is what allows that to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's um, it's tricky because, again, that word, the words, always the words. The words kind of get loaded with this emotional weight. Um, and, I, you know, I think a good, the way I try and frame this in my own mind is, you hear phrases like greedy capitalist thrown around a lot, but I think you could draw a line between greed and self-interestedness. And that line is, well, did you engage in consensual exchange, like the consensual exchange of private property with someone, or did you steal their private property? If you stole yeah. it, that's greedy. If you engage in consensual exchange, then that's just self-interestedness. 
And so we want people engaging in consensual trade and maximizing their self-interest or selfishness, if we want to use that term. But we don't want greed, right? We don't want people stealing from each other and killing each other, things like this. Um, and as you were saying that too, this kind of like devil's advocate argument came up in my mind that I guess socialists or people that advocate for aggressing against private property, right? For the greater good or for society, they could perhaps argue that those individuals are actually acting in their own rational self-interest that, oh, I have the ability to deceive and steal from other people. So I should just go do that to improve my own position. But again, I'd go back to Atlas Shrugged. It's like she demonstrates what happens when you violate that basic morality. When you start yeah, treating this, people this, like this, a means this, to an end, like yeah. we collapse, like civilization collapses, basically. And this this actually harkens back to you know our earlier conversation that we were having. You know, is is it in one's self interest to act in accordance with the truth, particularly mm-hmm. when through experience you understand the consequences yes. of not acting in accordance with the truth. Right. So for me, doing that is not in my rational self-interest by any means. That's right. That's I'm gonna point. I'm gonna pay as a result of that. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. So it's an unenlightened rationality. It's irrational, basically, because you're it is it is it is, yeah. it is irrational. Yeah. yeah, it's it's anti-life. Yes. That's yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. Um okay, let's talk about this. This is another real tricky word. <laughs> we love these tricky words value people throw this one around a lot like what how how would you define value and then what do you think what things are truly valuable in life well i mean to me this is intrinsically tied to the conversation that that we just had you know and for me the foundation of it is your existence your Mm -hmm. survival that's that that is the that is the bedrock of value and no other values are possible if you are not a living surviving human being it Mm -hmm. can't it can't exist and like values can only exist for living organisms. Mm-hmm. An indestructible, inanimate object cannot possibly have value. There's no metric for it to have value. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so yeah. life is first and foremost the ultimate value. And then it builds upon there what's 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 valuable to you as a unique human being in terms of what you actually want out of life, living yes. in accordance with your own highest ideals, you know, your own interests, your own passions, your own desires. But life survival is the bedrock of value yes no that's a great point um there's a there's a good tie here to to austrian economics where they say all action is an expression of value right so when you walk across the room you are expressing the truth that you valued being on the other side of the room rather than where you originated from and act just to to unpack the word action you know it's the purposeful use of means to pursue ends and so that's you know mises uh the axiom of action he calls it right man must act that we're always doing it you can't not do it actually everything you do you're expressing value you're expressing purpose you're using means to pursue ends and the reason it's axiomatic is because to even try and refute the axiom of action is to invoke argumentation as a means to the end of refuting the axiom so it's like self-contained irrefutable thing and uh again it's it's back to rationality because only rational humans can act right that we use we purposefully select means to pursue ends yeah well if If one can if you're not alive you can't do that to your point right like it is (laughs) got to be alive first and then be rational and then you can act exactly to to, to live one must act you know yes so if if, if being alive is of rational self-interest, then then so is action. And, you know, one can't act without thinking. So I would, I would include thinking in that. One must think. Mm. To live, one must think. One must use their mind. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing, like proliferating all around us. You know, there's there's a war on the mind that's taking place. So many anti-mind ideologies propping up all over the place. And again, this harkens back to man's unconscious desire to escape from self-responsibility because maybe on a deep unconscious level like he fears that he actually doesn't want freedom you know i think unconsciously many people carry the desire to return to a womb-like state of living Mm. and again to me this is what probably gives rise to you know collectivist ideologies in many ways we just want to go to the warm space bubble you know we we fear having left the nest we fear having left safety and comfort we fear leaving the tribe yeah so anything that you know can the, can release some of the 
burden, quote unquote, that this mm. pe- these people may perceive it as is going to be considered something that's good. Yeah. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Maybe this is a good segue actually into the new age dogmas and ideologies you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. Maybe they are little containers for relieving this fear or or stress that you're describing. Um, yeah. What, what are these? It's, what, what are these new age dogmas and ideologies and where what are they rooted in, in your estimation? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I guess particularly in in I guess the communities and and circles that you know I guess our podcast more lies within. You know, um, many people on a quote unquote truth seeking path initially, I, I believe, and this is also the case with me experientially, get magnetized towards more of a a, a new age or pop version of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And to me, ultimately, you know, the tenets of new age thought is that you know. You are you are not a self. Um, you are not your body. You are not your mind. Um, you are not your thoughts, etc., etc., etc. And this is ultimately, in my in my understanding and in my own personal experience, the answer, the answer, antithesis of life, the antithesis of, of what it means to be alive. Mm. These ideas, I believe, came from the East. You know, they were derived from Eastern philosophies. Um, and it's rooted in two core pillars. And to me, the pillar, those pillars are Gnosticism, which again is a very loaded word. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in my understanding, and to me, Gnosticism is basically this idea that we live in a fallen realm that needs to be escaped from. This is a fallen planet. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our bodies are evil um, and we need to escape from our bodies. And everything that we do should be for some unknowable, unquantifiable future existence. And the other pillar is this whole notion of aestheticism, you know, which ultimately, again, is self-sacrifice is, you know, mm. I, I, I must deprive my body in order to achieve some kind of level of spirituality. Like the more that I abstain from, from worldly matter, from worldly things, from food, from sex, from whatever it might be, the closer that I can come to becoming like a true mm. a, a, a spiritual on some level. Mm. Mm. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's antithetical to life you know to to live one must think and i think we really need to reclaim um congruence with our own minds mm-hmm. and the power of our minds to actually live a prosperous existence um you know it's all rooted in escaping reality is 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 where i come from with this yeah yeah that one is tricky i think because it's almost like a matter of degree because obviously some degree of asceticism can be beneficial, right? Fasting or meditation or solitude, self-discipline, like these things can be useful, but taken yeah. to an extreme, right? Where you're just trying to completely subordinate this life to some, as you said, unquantifiable afterlife, that's yeah. anti-life, right? That's that's irrational, yeah. basically. 
Yeah, when it gets to the point of like, you know, the deprivation, obviously that's not in one's self-interest. Again, you know, if, yeah. if, 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 if you can take somebody to an extent where it's healing and it's beneficial for you, mm-hmm. then, then for sure. But, you know, even like, this is a common one, but like people sitting in ice baths beyond the point of regulation, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where right. they're completely associated, shut off just to withstand this, this freezing cold temperature. You know, that's mm-hmm. not beneficial for you. Right. It's beneficial to a limit, to a degree. But if you're completely disassociated, you can't feel your body, you can't feel your nervous system whatsoever. Right. You know, that's, I would put that into the, into the aestheticism basket. Yeah. It calls to mind that the medicine is the dosage, right? Like yeah. a little bit of these things can be useful, but too taken too far to extreme can be poisonous. Yeah. Um, and like the other thing that, you know, I, th- I find new age dogma and ideology is built upon, I guess one of the, the key, I guess, books, you know, that fall in this category is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah. It's a book that yeah. I've read. And, yeah. you know, at, at that time, I did experience a shift in consciousness as a result of it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it was because by cutting off the past and cutting off the future, I get to escape responsibility for all the choices that I've made in my life mm-hmm. up until this point. Mm-hmm. I get to avoid my shadow. I get to avoid dealing with mm-hmm. the consequences of, of my actions. You know, oh, I, I just live in the now. There is no future. There is no past. There is no mind. That right. feels like a bliss to someone yeah. that's lived 35 years of hedonism. And that's right. why you see so often these corporate types going from, you know, big time jobs on Wall Street to all of a sudden wanting to sit on a mountaintop in the Ganges and become nothing mm. because yeah. it gives them this, an, an escape from dealing with, right. the, with the consequence of their actions thus far. Yeah, that's a great point too. I loved that book, but it is, I mean, useful in one circumstance if you're trying to get kind of in a meditative more present awareness if you're constantly attached to the past or you're constantly worried about the future then that shift can be useful but it again you can't take that to an extreme either because then you're just dissociated from the past and not planning for the future yeah mindfulness is a tool it's not a state of being you know it's useful to detach for a second and take a look at you know the the different compartmentalizations of the way we think but Mm -hmm. you can't live there yes right yeah yeah yeah, for sure. Um, I was we were talking about this offline. This quote came up that I wanted to share from Dan Dapani. And I think it speaks to this, maybe the dangers of these new age dogmas or ideologies. He he said that don't outsource your life to the universe, take ownership of it, your life, your responsibility. You hear a lot of people say things like, oh, everything happens for a reason, or uh, a lot of people kind of have victim mentality, like, oh, this always happens to me, that you just get this defeatist attitude. Um, in some, I don't want to, like, obviously we're generalizing here, and I don't, I'm not too much of a new age ideology expert, but I, I sense a lot of this defeatist attitude when I hear people sharing. And I think, yeah, you got to stay with the reality of responsibility because that one does not go away. You know, like you're the the, the the attitude of it is what it is. You know, yeah. is the reason that we have so many people who are trying to siphon our life force all around us because we're in this state of passivity, this state yes. of pure acceptance of pure surrender. Right? Like there's there's, there's no tension. We need yes. a level of tension. We need to be able to take responsibility for our own lives. We need to think things through properly. We need to take appropriate action yes. um, to, to keep things in balance. And, you know, if if we think, you know, oh, you know, everything's just going to be bliss and be great no matter what occurs, then that is saying, welcome, parasites. Have yes. me. Yes. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not interested in self-preservation. I'm not interested in wielding a sword. I'm not interested in climbing a mountain. Yeah. It's like everything's just unfolding the way the way it's going to unfold. But again, man, like it's 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 giving up on that responsibility that comes with life. Absolutely, the tension. That's a really good word because it's the the tension is necessary for forward movement. You know, like when you draw a bow, like what are you doing? You're putting some tension on the bowstring yeah. to launch the arrow forward. And so, if everyone just takes that mentality, it is what it is. This is the way things are blah, 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 then no progress ever occurs, right? We would not get to where we are today. We'd still be yeah. building pyramids or what, living in serfdom, something like that, if we don't have that tension to move forward. Well, we're, we're, yeah, we're able to be enslaved with, because of a lack yes. of tension, right? you know? And, you know, if, if, if physically, even like I'm thinking of in like a now another, you know, iteration of this is like, you know, yoga, like yoga is good to a limit. 
But if you're going to be flexible to the point of complete flaccidity, yeah, there's, there's no tension in there. Yes, you know. Yeah, that's why you have to pair it. Like weight training pairs well with yeah. yoga, right? You get the you, yeah, what the yin and the yang, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's a great yeah, point. That's right. Um, okay, I would be remiss, good sir, if I did not talk to you a little bit about the nature of money. Mm-hmm. Um, what I guess we could focus on the programming and distortions people have in relation to money. Um, now I'd love to just ask you the question straight up, like what is money in your view? And then what, what are these emotional psychological dimensions of it? Um, that people experience in the world that we don't often talk about. It seems like it's a very taboo subject for a lot of people. Um, (laughs) Most people just seem like they don't have enough of it. Everyone wants more, which is pretty normal. But um, what is your, what are your views on the nature of money and then how it's distorted Mm -hmm. in in the modern day? Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in my estimation, to answer the question directly, what is money? It's the symbolic representation of life force exchanged. Mm. and uh, so when i for, i mean just I'll, I'll come back to your question but like when we talk think about like you know federal reserve and fractional reserve banking whatever it might be like it's not really the value of the dollar that's being diluted it's the value of your life force mm. that's 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 being diluted that's what's right. becoming less valuable as a result of that you know yes. that to me is the ultimate distortion and uh, when it comes to many of the i guess the programs and the corruptions around around money you know again i on some level i come back to you know religion you know um i don't believe money is the root of all evil i don't even believe the love of money is the root of all evil and i Mm. think you know that is one key program that keeps many people in the state of poverty consciousness and scarcity Mm. consciousness you know they're constantly unconsciously pushing it away because they believe if you know they're seen to have it or they're seen to you know be doing well with it Mm -hmm. then uh, you know they're going to be disapproved of by the tribe, so to speak. Mm. And, you know, I see this being iterated, particularly, you know, through Hollywood programming, you know, we see many of the, many, many of the main characters, the wealthy, rich, successful characters, often are the corrupt ones, the evil ones, mm-hmm. you know, and Robin Hood syndrome, the, the, the martyr is always the, the hero, you know, um, the person who's not interested in the material world. Um, and so I think that has done a great deal in terms of distorting, uh, the way that we perceive money, but the way I see it, you know, and again, leaning on Rand, it's like, it's ultimately the representation of how much value you have on one's life and mm. on, on, on one's mind and on mm. one's productive ability. Mm. My, my ability to produce is directly correlated to the money that, that I earn. And so money is the incentivization for creative effort, for, for innovation, um, for for life to continue to to evolve and to grow and looking at it from that perspective you know i'm going to use the extreme just to make the point but it could be argued that money is the root of all good Mm. yeah 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 it's i mean (laughs) the world would be very uh less civilized without it basically right it's a very important tool like as essential as language or something it's, it's, our, it's our means of survival yes. it's our means of coming back to rational self-interest it literally yes. is our means of survival yes. you know in a in a in a hunter gatherer scenario the, the 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 hunter that goes and forages and finds or kills his own food mm-hmm. that that is, that is his money in that scenario that's his means of survival yes. and so if someone else comes along and wants to steal that or take it or compromise that on some level, then they're compromising his mm-hmm. his his means of survival. And this brings us obviously to the converse of the, you know, I guess the point of private property um mm. as well. Yeah. yeah. Like sorry, go ahead. No, no. I think I finished my yeah, point. Okay. No, it's so good. And I I love a symbolic representation of life force exchange. It's it's poetic almost. And there's this other thing too, where we t- again we're, we keep coming back to rationality, and money is almost a way in which we extend human rationality into the material domain, and I mean that literally. Like when we talk 
what what is a price? Again, it's an exchange ratio between goods denominated or expressed in money. So we're actually figuring out what things are worth in terms of other things, but we're speaking a common language of economic numeracy called money. It mm-hmm. lets us rationalize about the world more effectively, right? I don't need to know how many chairs a table costs or how many cars a house costs. Like we just talk in money and we can communicate very seamlessly about it and we can trade and we can innovate and we can produce. So to your point, I don't know if it's the root of all good, but it is very foundational to productive effort and civilization. Um, And like you said, when you dilute it, right, we're deviating from truth. We're distorting prices. We're also using that dilution to fund warfare, to fund mainstream media, psyops, like literally destroying life force. So if money is a symbolic representation for life force exchange, when we dilute it, we actually dilute life force in the real world, right? We bombs get dropped, you know, production gets stymied, all of these things. We're actually destroying or at least hamstringing the human enterprise. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, if 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 we look at like a, a an objectivist morality and we say that okay that which furthers life is good that which subverts life is evil mm-hmm. then you know money is a motivator for the furtherance of life you know yes. and and I guess that's where my statement kind of came from in terms of you know it, it can be in some level described as 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 a root of good. Um, it's the reason we produce. It's the reason that we create value. Yes. It's because we're interested in our own survival. We're interested in our own prosperity. And so is all of nature. Yes. Yeah. Fantastically said. And I have to give one more shout out to Atlas Shrugged here because that money speech by, I think, Francisco Francisco Danconia, I think is his name. Yeah. Holy shit, man. It is so unbelievably good. Bro. It's the best descriptor of money I've ever heard. Um, oh man, I, I had goosebumps the whole way through that. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. It's we're gonna put it out on the show. Actually, I like I just read it from the book. It's probably fifteen minutes long, and then I've got my animator putting a thing over the top of it. So I'm super excited to see what it looks like when it's done. But it is awesome. very, very, very good. Okay. Again, like I, I come back to this point, it's like if you're interested in your own life, if you value your life, if you value potential, if you value self responsibility, read Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, you know, like take take that action. That's something that's going to be beneficial yes. to your own rational self interest. I would dare to say it can't not change your life if you actually read the whole thing or listen to the whole thing as I did. I don't I don't think you can leave that book unchanged. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's 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 a clean and scale for the mind. Yes, 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 yes. Um, okay, so last question. I've kept you long enough. We've established the the significance of money. Let's say, mm-hmm. what is the value of incorruptible money? What is the value of something like Bitcoin? Money that we can't dilute. If diluting money is diluting life force in a literal sense, how important is money that cannot be diluted? I mean, to have, to have to have a store of value for one's life force, which is which can't be diluted. I mean, it's 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 we never had that number one, yeah. No. yeah, and it's it's fundamental to I think ultimately human prosperity, you know, and uh, man, it's not something that I've really contemplated in much depth, but it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very mystified by it, obviously. It's interesting. Maybe to some degree that human corruption is just a product of the incentive systems we've been inhabiting. And now we've developed an incentive system that really disincentivizes violence and coercion and rewards productive, fruitful human exchange, long-term relationships. So I'm very well, excited it's, to see where yeah, it goes. I mean... You know, to, to make the analogy of, I guess, nature or earth, it is the most fertile soil imaginable mm. for for life to flourish. Yes. I think that's a beautiful place to put a button on it. Cool, man. Joel, really had 
had a good time on this conversation. We'll have to do this again. Uh, wrapping philosophy with you is a lot of fun. Um, where can people find you and your podcast on the internet? Yeah, man, bro. Absolute pleasure uh, being here. Our episode together is one of my favorites, The Truth About Money. People should definitely go check that out as well. The podcast is called Here for the Truth. Um, hereforthetruth.com. You can find everything you need there in regards to all our episodes, or you can search on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Here for the Truth. We have a membership community and a group coaching program as well, really helping people understand some of the concepts that we've discussed today. And you can find all that at hereforthetruth.com as well. Awesome, dude. Great talking to you and uh, look forward to the next one. Likewise, man. Take care.